We are delighted to be joined by Tim Patrick, who is with us today to talk about his brand new book, The Whole Counsel of God, Why and How to Preach the Entire Bible. Welcome to Exposit the Word, Tim. G'day, David. Thank you so much for having me. Great to be here. Ah, Great stuff. Before we get started, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became a Christian. Yeah, um, so my parents are not believers, uh, don't come from a believing family, Mm. Um, but my grandparents were uh, Roman Catholics, and um, that at least gave me some kind of background thinking about, you know, I saw crucifixes, so I knew Jesus was someone. Um, They went to church, so I thought that was important. Uh, But it was really when I got to university, uh, and it was through one of those uh, university campus ministries that... um, I heard the gospel clearly explained, and there was uh, just a wonderful leader there who, under God, I owe my my salvation to. He um, discipled me, mentored me for about five years, uh, and you know, for the first part of that, I wasn't a believer, uh, but he called me to faith, and um, by the Spirit, I responded, and and uh, in God's grace, been going ever since. Uh, great stuff. And what do you do for work? Yeah, so I'm um, I work at the Bible College of South Australia. Uh, and that's really just like a, a seminary, a theological college, um, same thing. Uh, what we do is we train up people to serve in uh, Christian ministry. And that's right through from you know training people to be senior pastors, uh, people being missionaries, um, all that kind of stuff, uh, through to uh, people who just want to get better equipped to serve in their local church, leading a Bible study group, leading a youth group, um, maybe being an elder or something like that in the church. Um, so uh, anyone who wants to get trained for uh, more um, fruitful and faithful service of Jesus, mm. uh, we're very happy to take an application. And I understand that you've pastored a church yourself before, Tim. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So uh, I came to working in the college um, after having worked as a pastor for about 10 years yeah. in a couple of different capacities. Um, and to be honest with you, that's my first love. My yeah. first love is still the local church. Yeah. Um, I'm in the college because uh, I think under God it could be that uh, I can have an impact on many local churches uh, through preparing people to serve as leaders in those churches. Now, even if I feel a bit frustrated myself that I'm not there working in a church um, uh, where I'd most like to be. But I kind of think that's what you want in Bible colleges. You want frustrated pastors. You don't want people who are running away from the ministry. You yeah. want people who love it. Yeah, that's so true, yeah. So tell us about your new book, and how did you come to write it? Yeah, so uh, it's a book I've co-written with a good friend of mine. His name's um, Andrew Reed, mm. and uh, he's the principal of the Evangelical Theological College of Asia based in Singapore. And uh, we were actually sitting next to each other at a conference many years ago, um, and I'd had this thought rattling around in my head for ages uh, about wanting to really encourage pastors to think about uh, not just how they preach one sermon, mm. but how they take responsibility for feeding their flock on all that God has got to say to them in the scriptures. And I remember just, um, I think it was really just an off-the-cuff comment to Andrew, like, hey, do you want to work on this together? And he said, yes. And uh, so (laughs) we made it a project, um, very uh, graciously um, offered a contract with Crossway Publishers, and uh, they gave us a deadline, and we we wrote to the deadline, and and that's what we got to. Awesome. So give us us the pitch. Tell us all about the book, Ben. What's it about, and, and who's it for? Yeah, sure. So it's a preaching book, but it's not about 
how to preach a sermon. There's lots of really great books out there on how to preach a sermon mm. uh, and the kind of trade craft of preparing a sermon, all that sort of thing. Yeah. This is really a book that is about what to preach and how to plan what to preach. Mm. Uh, and, and that really drives back to what I said before. Uh, it's trying to say uh, we want to help pastors think about more than just preaching a sermon but how to plan a program of preaching, a diet of preaching, a whole um, a continuous uh, preaching calendar that will, over the course of time, over a long time, actually work toward feeding their congregations on the entire message of the Scripture. Mm -hmm. So when we racked our brains about it, we couldn't actually think of many other books, if any, that go into the detail of preaching through the Bible, let alone um, how you might kind of systematically plan to do that. Yeah. So the book really makes the case in the first half, this is what you should do, this is the dangers of not doing that, this is the benefit of doing it. Um, we talk theology, like in some ways this is nothing more than the kind of practical expression of our doctrine of the canon. Mm. Uh, and then the second half of the book is really a, a how-to, like, Here's, here's some pointers, here's some tips, here's some guides. Um, what would it look like to actually put pen to paper and start writing this program out? Yeah, great stuff. So what is the whole counsel of God and why is it important that a Christian understands that? Yeah, well, I think, uh, you know, theologically speaking, um, we, uh, Andrew and I, are very much in the Protestant tradition and we uh, take the view that the whole counsel of God in terms of his special revelation is what he has revealed to us and has been recorded and captured for us in the, the 66 books of the canonical scriptures. Uh, and our view is that God gave us all of those books and every chapter and every verse of those books deliberately. There's nothing in there by accident. There's no padding. There's no filler. Uh, and so our goal is really just to help people um, really come to a sense that if this is right, if what we say about the Bible is true, that it's all the word of God, um, then it seems that it would be wise to sort of follow Paul. Paul's probably uh, obviously speaking in a different context when you look at him in Acts uh, chapter 20 where the phrase the whole counsel of God comes from. Um, obviously there is no New Testament at that stage. Mm. But nonetheless, the spirit of what Paul's doing there is saying his goal with the Ephesians was not to feed them just the bare minimum or just to kind of reinforce the same doctrine 30 times, but to teach them everything. Yeah. And uh, we think, well, that's a good principle. Um, rather than have bare minimum Christianity, let's have uh, as full as we can manage uh, in, in, with our resources and time um, and to give people as much of the scriptures as possible. Yeah, so good. It's so important, isn't it? You, you When you speak to people who go to a church that may have topical teaching, and we'll get into that a little bit later on. Yeah. I've seen so often where people end up with a caricature of God's nature. There'll be an yeah. overemphasis of, you know, God is a God of love or, or, or you know, and it's, it's just like anything, isn't it? You could take one element of yourself, Tim, and, you know, say, you know, yeah. Tim is generous. But, you know, that, that's not going to capture you <laughs> and your nature and everything. And they, you, you can see a bias towards one part, and, and that can be so dangerous, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I think, I mean, it's 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 exactly that. And it's tricky anyway, because even if you are doing expository preaching, um, you're always subject to bias because, yeah. you know, we're humans and that's what yeah. happens. But I, I agree, the bias is so much less if you're preaching through the books of the Bible mm. than if you come to the Bible 
on any given Sunday and kind of try and decide what will I preach today, yeah. well, you'll, you know, if you're trying to think of a topic or you've got a favorite doctrine, mm. you are likely to just come back to that over and over. Yeah. Um, yeah rather than discovering something new that God might have to say that you hadn't even thought of. Yeah, so good. If somebody asked you to explain the story of the Bible, what would you say? Oh, yes. Uh, well, there's a number of ways that I'd tackle it. But, um, uh, look, I, I think uh, the first approach I'd take would be to try and pencil sketch the big acts in the drama of what God has been doing in the world from yeah. uh, creation uh, through to sin, uh, promise in the Old Testament and hope. Um, leading, of course, to uh, the first coming of Jesus um, and the salvation that he wins in his death and his resurrection, yeah. uh, pointing to then new creation, um, but also this, you know, this period we're in now, the you know what some theologians call the overlap of the ages, where you know there is still both sin in the world and and the way of sin in the world, but also mm. there's salvation in the world and the way of salvation, and we're mm. in an age of choice. Um, I mean. Uh, yeah, I, I tend to start with some of the students I teach with that really big, grand uh, sweep, um, but then just keep coming back and we'll just add layers and layers of depth to that as we go through. Uh, but it's really a story, isn't it, of um, a God who made a good world uh, with a good plan and a good purpose and uh, the sin of humanity that took that world off its course mm. and uh, through all that God did, uh, over the course of history, um, the definitive act was the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ mm. uh, and his death and resurrection to set things right. Mm. And I think we, we, we need to know that um, that you have to have a Christ-centered reading of the Bible. And one of the amazing things about the Scriptures, as, as you well know, is we have these 66 books. Mm. They each have their own integrity. They have their own literary form. They have their own emphases and focus and provenance. But they all hang together around the message of Jesus. Mm. So whatever you're teaching people about the big picture of the Bible, if you don't uh, see it with its relationship to Jesus, you probably haven't got it quite sorted. Yeah, yeah. You've touched on it a couple of times already. <laughs> what is expository preaching? Yeah, so to, to ex expository preaching really is just the language people use to, to expose the text, yeah. to expose what it says. So... Um, uh, and the, the way we do it, I think, in a, a good kind of um, Protestant tradition is to uh, take a book of the Bible and or what, what we often do, actually, just to backpedal half a step, often what we see in, in Protestant teaching is take a passage of the Bible mm -hmm. and work through that passage. Mm -hmm. So we expose the meaning of that passage by looking at uh, the words and what the words mean, um, any uh, metaphors or images, the structure of the passage, um, what the the uh, the high point of the passage is, or the the key moment of the passage, or something like that. We try and uh, capture its original intended meaning mm -hmm. and explain that to people. Um, expository preaching has to be applied, of course, because uh, it's one thing for me to expose the truth of a text that's you know two thousand or three and a half thousand years old, yeah. but the preacher's job is also then to say why that still is enormously relevant today. So yeah. kind of exposing the text, but then exposing its relevance to us today. But then I would even push back a bit. Like, as I said, we see lots of preachers, great preachers in great churches who exposit passages. Mm -hmm. But I would suggest that good expository preaching actually treats each book of the Bible as a literary whole. 
Yeah. And that it's I, I understand why sometimes people uh, might preach a section of Luke's gospel or, you know, um, a part of one Samuel. But I want to say it's a little bit like stealing a chapter out of a great novel mm. um, without reading the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, to really understand that text, you've got to read the whole text. Yeah. So I'd say good expository preaching uh, teaches each book of the Bible from its first chapter, first verse through to its end in a linear fashion. Mm. We've not spoken about this before, uh, Tim, so you might have a, a different opinion, but something that has helped me grow massively as a Christian. When I first become a Christian, and I'll just quickly say a caveat, I know that a lot of people do this and it's really helpful to them, but just my experience is the Bible in one year. So when yeah, I yeah. first become a Christian, uh, people said, oh, you know, get, get a Bible in one year. And I, I started off with the paperback book and then I bought the app. And for those that don't know, yeah. that's where you get given a, uh, a, a passage out of the Old Testament, out of the New Testament and uh, a Psalm or a proverb. So it's great in terms of it keeps you on track and it encourages you to, to have a devotional each day. But if you would have asked me 10 minutes after reading uh, the, my Bible in one year plan, I wouldn't have been able to or, or, or explained to you what I've just learned because... For me, you know, it was great that I had an app and it was encouraging me. Oh, you know, you've, you've read it for 60 days in a row. Keep going kind of thing. That was great. But it wasn't until that we actually stopped doing that as a family and that we actually chose intentionally a book of the Bible. We researched yeah. what the context was, who the author was, who the audience was of the day. And then each night actually going through and chunking through a chapter of the text every single night so you can actually follow the narrative through. When we yeah. did that, we just saw huge growth in terms of our knowledge and, and, and growing in our understanding of the yeah. actual biblical narrative. What, what's your thoughts yeah. on that, Tim? Yeah, no, look, I think that's right. Um, I think there's probably just there's two different things going on, mm. right? So I uh, I don't read through the Bible cover to cover every year, but I do some years. Yeah, I think I did it uh, 2018, the last time I did it. Yeah. Um, what that does really, it just, I think it just, continues to give you a general familiarity i completely agree with you that you can't plumb the depths of it at that speed mm. but the reality is if you are um, trying to study books of the bible in depth which is brilliant that takes a long time mm. and uh, if you only do that then you might never read the whole bible yeah so i think it does it gives you just sort of background familiarity um to read you know read the whole bible in a year once every you know three five years or something like that um then when you do come to something or you hear something in a sermon or you hear something teaching, it'll trigger something. You go, oh, well, I know, hang on, I know that. I've heard that before. That's mm. not completely new to me. Mm. Um, so I think it's just doing a different thing. I think if all you do is just kind of speed read the Bible and just get through it, um, you know, once a year, uh, unless you've got, you know, brilliant comprehension, which probably some people do, mm. you probably will miss a lot. Yeah. But I would say at the same time, if you never do it, um, the risk is there'll be parts of the Bible that you never get to, even in that just sort of first pass general familiarity sort of sense. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I, I've never personally uh, done like a close devotional study of uh, uh, two chronicles, but I've read it. Mm. And I, you know, I know that there are things in there that differ from um, what we have in uh, the one and two kings and things like that. Mm. And I know, for example, the start of one Chronicles has got that long set of uh, genealogies and those things. I don't, I've never looked in detail, mm. but I've, I've seen it enough times to, to at least have a sense that it's there. And maybe when it does come time to study it, that, that kind of um, background learning will serve me. Yeah. 
we might have somebody listening who doesn't actually preach and their role within their learning or, or, or within their faith walk right now might be from sitting in a pew and absorbing what the pastor is teaching. How important is it, is it to be an active listener? And, and also, do you recommend that they follow along? So if there's a sermon series going through, you know, if, if a t- church is teaching Acts at the moment, would you recommend at home they're following through in Acts as well when they're reading ahead? How does that kind of work? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think uh, that, uh, well, the first thing I'd say is I have a very high view of the local church, mm. and I think that in God's economy, the local church is, is very important, and the pastor of a local church is a person who, under God, under Jesus, has a significant responsibility. And I think, and we read about this in the New Testament, that it is it is an act of somewhat it's, it's at least reckless a little bit to ignore your pastor. Mm. God has put them there for a reason. Mm. So, and I think particularly in this time of, um, you know, we've got the pandemic and lockdown and lots of churches are online. I feel, I have to admit, a little uncomfortable with people who are not tuning into their own church's services uh, mm. where they're available, mm. but are going off to kind of, you know, more big name um uh, preachers who, who you know you can kind of do that from anywhere around the world now yeah, yeah. Uh, because I think that um, even when the sermons seem perhaps a little dry a little boring you know you realize gosh we are we really going to go through one chronicles mm. Um, mm. The, you know there's another church is doing Romans that'd be far more exciting yeah. no I think you actually need to say my pastor's taking me through one chronicles because uh, he knows that I need to be fed on the whole counsel of God, mm. and it might be a bit like eating my greens. Uh, it doesn't excite me straight away, but I want to trust that under God, uh, this person is leading me in all the truth I need to hear. Mm. Um, so I want to I want to say that it would it would be n- not nothing just to ignore the teaching course that your church minister sets for you. Yeah. I think that's a significant thing to do. Yeah. In terms of what you should do at home, I think there's great merit in following along. And certainly when I pastored a church, we tried to offer synchronized Bible study materials with the sermon materials, uh, same with our kids program. We tried to have them all lined up. It really helped families to be on the same page. Mm-hmm. But um, at the same time, I, I probably would, you know, uh, be kind of flexible on that. I'm not. I don't want to be too rigid. And it might be that um, a Bible study group can quite fruitfully do something that's different to the sermon series. Um, although maybe you don't get ultimately the same potential for uh, seeing things uh, kind of harmonies in there. And you know, you could do something in the sermon where you um, provoke a lot of questions and you mm. ask the Bible study group to discuss them at home. Yeah. Uh, and so you can get great value out of um, working those things together, I think. Mm, good. What is gospel theology and why is it important? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, so in the in the book, we have um, a section where we look at why it's important to preach the Bible theologically. Mm. And we say that uh, this really goes back to what I said before, that it, that helps us make sure that we don't take any passage of Scripture uh, disjointed from the overall uh, theological shape of the Bible. Um, so we need to have kind of theological glasses on while we read our Bibles and teach yeah. our Bibles. Yeah. Um, gospel theology, it's a its a phrase that we've kind of coined, I think, uh, to talk about a type of theology that's not um, strictly 
biblical theology, as uh, as is often uh, that phrase is used, nor uh, systematic theology or kind of dogmatics in the old language, but a theology that flows out of our understanding of the gospel itself. Mm-hmm. So uh, the case that we make is that uh, the gospel is uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus, uh, Jesus as uh, the Lord, the Messiah, um, his death uh, being for our sins and his resurrection uh, being to lead us into new life. And we we argue that uh, this is a great theological grid that actually you'll find resonates with a whole lot of what's in the scriptures. So if you have this kind of gospel theology framework for your Bible reading and Bible teaching, um, the hope is that you won't kind of shoehorn Jesus into every text or sort of, you know, find Jesus under every rock in the Old Testament. Mm. But you'll see the resonances, even with, you know, some unexpected Old Testament passages, you'll see resonances with uh, questions of authority or lordship or rulership, which point to Jesus as Messiah. Or you'll see resonances with atonement uh, and reconciliation and forgiveness that'll point to Jesus uh, as the crucified one. Or you'll see resonances with hope and with the future and with um, uh, the restoration of all things. And that'll have resonances with the new creation that Jesus pioneered in his resurrection. So it's it's a way that we believe is uh, has good fidelity to the gospel mm-hmm. and also is, is a legitimate way to see the gospel shape of the Bible. And therefore, to be able to preach every part of the Bible... Uh, in such a way that the gospel is emphasized without just saying, somehow I've got to leapfrog to John 3.16 or Romans 3, otherwise the gospel won't be in this sermon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really helpful. You have a chapter in the book talking about the benefits of pastors planning their preaching schedules years in advance. What are the benefits of of this long-range planning? Yeah, well, look, I I just think uh, if you don't plan long-range, you won't accomplish anything long-range, really. Um, A wise friend once said to me, we often overestimate what we can do in one or two years, but underestimate underestimate what we can do in five or ten years. And I think if a pastor says, look, I want to teach my congregation in church the whole Bible, well, you know, one or two years, that's impossible. But you think, well... Let me, let me say I want to teach a third of the Bible in 10 years. Mm. Well, then you've got to plan it. You've got to say, okay, uh, what third of the Bible is it going to be? And uh, how am I going to do it? Is it going to be all Old Testament one year, all New Testament the next year? Um, or is it going to be a little bit of the Pentateuch? Is it going to be one of Paul's epistles? Uh, so really, the, the what you get from that level of planning is a long-ranged, balanced diet of Scripture. Uh, and so to us, that kind of idea of um, the balanced diet is a nice metaphor. Mm. Uh, it, it's like, um, you know, if you're thinking about your food, uh, sometimes you can, you know, have a, a special meal or you can eat a particular thing for dinner or breakfast, but you can't have the same thing every day. Mm. You've got to think about over the course of my life, I need to basically be eating this amount of carbohydrate, this amount of vegetables, this amount of uh, meat. And... Um, that's just a healthy balance. So that long-range preaching lets you sort of think about the balance of Scripture. Uh, and, you know, that, that it also just lets you chart a course. Oh, how am I going to teach all of Isaiah? Well, I'm probably, well, you might, but I, I suspect I'm not going to do it in one block. 
but I might do six chapters this year and pick it up in the second half of next year with another six or seven chapters mm. and then pick it up two years after that. So I've got a plan rather than just preaching a little bit of Isaiah and thinking, oh, one day, hopefully I'll get back to it. Yeah, yeah. How do you typically blend the Old Testament and the New Testament? I mean, what does that practically look like um, in terms of planning the teaching series? Yeah, I think this is a really um, good question, I think, because I think our impulse as uh, New Testament believers is that the New Testament deserves more airtime than the Old Testament. Mm. And that makes a lot of sense, right? Mm. Jesus is foregrounded. Uh, things are very um, often very straightforwardly explained in a way that you, you don't have to go through uh, some kind of Old Testament hermeneutical process to get there. But the flip side of the argument is, and this, again, comes from another um, wise pastor friend of mine uh, who says that, well, the Old Testament is, you know, two, three times bigger than the New Testament, mm. so you should preach it two, three times as much. Mm. And I don't think he necessarily meant that in a literal sense, but it was provocative to say God didn't give us more Old Testament than New Testament by accident. Yeah. That wasn't a mistake. And I think God is now looking down and going, oh, silly of me to give them so much Old Testament. Um, I think God gave us that because uh, it helps us to grow more into the people he wants us to be. Yeah. So I, I would... As a first pass, and this is a very rough first pass, I would say I want to be preaching uh, about the amount of Old Testament relative to New Testament that I find in the Bible. So mm -hmm. perhaps two-thirds to one-third or something. Mm -hmm. Now, the corrective on that, the thing I have to say to straighten that up is uh, a lot of this will come down to how long you break down um, passages of uh, books of the Bible into what size passages. Mm -hmm. So... In the New Testament, it seems that it's um, lots of the natural sections of text, the pericopes, if you like, uh, are a lot shorter than what they are in the New in the Old Testament. So some of uh, Paul's letters, you know, I, I preached Ephesians a while ago, and I think I decided it worked as fourteen sermons. Mm. Um, but I think then you go to somewhere like the Book of Exodus, and you might preach great swathes of that in one sermon. Mm. So you might preach. Um, all of the plague cycles in one sermon mm. or all of the instructions for the design of the tabernacle in one sermon. So when you do that, it means it's probably not going to be two-thirds, one-third because in the Old Testament, you'll be covering so much more ground so much more quickly just because of the nature of those long narratival texts as opposed to the New Testament, which has a lot more um, of the epistles with their kind of uh, distinct sections and even New Testament narratives, the Gospels, tend to be quite uh, punctuated with lots of different scenes. Mm -hmm. So, again, part of what I'm talking about here, of course, is the planning process, right? Mm -hmm. the, yeah. These are the thoughts that I think preachers need to sit through, uh, work through with their preaching team or, or on their own if they're the sole preacher, um, take some time out to ask these questions, to scribble on a bit of paper, to start you know, adding up some columns of how many weeks have I got and how many sermons. Um, and again, I'm not kind of too strict or fussy about where you end up, but I would love to encourage this type of thinking and this type of work as part of the, the, the macro level preparation for, um, for preparing to preach. Yeah, 
So good. How strict would you be with your diary? So you've got your diary, your church planner, you know, two years in advance. But then something like COVID-19 yep. happens and we've seen a lot of yeah. pastors, you know, park their, their expository um, series for, a, 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 you know, a week or two. And then they might deliver a topical sermon. Are you in favour of that? And would you, and I guess as well, the other question is, what are the risks of topical preachers? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Uh, good question. Um, I think I would say that I think you have to be flexible, right? There has to be flexibility. Yeah. But uh, I think the way that I think about it is I want to have flexibility within a plan rather than flexibility but no plan. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that is, yeah. I, I'm not sure I'm an advocate of the uh, model that says I'm so flexible I don't know what I'm doing next week. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I want to map out a sermon series 18 months Twelve, uh, two years in advance, but then you know, as a pastor who whose work is to um, be able to understand what's going on in the world and to minister to the, the people in the midst of that, mm. to say, look, you know, circumstances are such that we have to deviate from the plan, mm. and that'll be a judgment call. Um, the the downshot of it, the downside of it is that uh, what you might end up doing is saying, uh, you you could go this way, you could say too quickly. Anything that happens in the world derails the preaching program, mm. you know. Um, and I think there's a part of me that wants to say, do you know what? Sometimes even when things happen in the world, I want to continue with the program we had almost just to symbolically say God's word sets our agenda, mm. not what's going on in the world. Mm. So it's that, but but I, I don't want to be again. I'm not hard line on that. I, I want to hold that intention with the fact that uh, what's going on in the world, the church has to understand and engage with, uh, and we have to hear what the scriptures have to say about it. So so there is a tension there. Mm. Um, on the question of topical preaching, I mean, I'm not. Uh, I don't think you should never preach topical sermons, um, and certainly I do that from time to time, but. Uh, I feel as though they should not be the mainstay of congregational preaching. Mm. Um, and I feel like there are uh, – actually, I mean, you asked me the downsides. I could probably rub it on for a bit. But yeah. <laughs> a, a few things that I think um, I'm not I'm, – I'm worried about with uh, topical preaching. Uh, one we said before, which is that um, I think they just risk bias. Mm. So, you know, the classic example is if you, you, know, you run a youth group, then uh, your topical sermons are all about relationships – um, or the return of Jesus, or someone once said, or your relationships during the return of Jesus, or something like that. <laughs> yeah. you, you just look for what scratches people's itches. Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah. yeah, I don't know that I want to do that. Um, but I mean, probably at a kind of uh, in principle level, the primary reason not to do too much topical preaching is again simply because that's not how God gave us the Bible. Yeah. God didn't give us a Bible with you know the book of relationships, the book of uh, suffering, uh, with uh, here's a sermon on um, how to deal with uh, you know gender issues, here's a sermon on... The Bible interacts with all of those things, mm -hmm. but the way that God has chosen to do that is through the stories, through the poems, through the apocalyptic visions... Uh, through the letters. And so I want to say, if that's how God wanted us to interact with those issues, then that's how I want to interact with those issues. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, if I can just say one other thing, I think one of the great nervousnesses I have is that 
I think lots of great churches with people who have excellent theology and, and wonderful hearts, when they do a lot of topical preaching, I, I wonder if they actually end up training their church unwittingly to have good kind of Christian theological instincts, but not to know their Bibles. Mm. So, you know, you can say to people, um, uh, how are you saved? Oh, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Wonderful. Uh, you can say, um, uh, what's our, where, where do we find the truth? Or we find the truth in the scriptures. Uh, wonderful. Um, if you say to them, uh, what's two Thessalonians about? They go, I don't know. You say, oh, uh, what's the what's the big um, turning point in Mark's gospel? I don't know. So they've kind of learnt doctrine and sort of good Christian ideas, but not the Bible. Yeah. And I, I feel a bit uncomfortable about that. Yeah. And also, you know, you, you mentioned earlier on, we for the last seven or eight weeks, we've had lots of our brothers and sisters in church having access to the internet, and they would have been absorbing all sorts of te- teaching online and there's a huge momentum at the moment isn't there with a prosperity gospel and you see time and yeah. time again where they'll take a verse out of here a verse out of there yeah. and butchering text taking it out of context which obviously you know is why we're such passionate fans of expository preaching and the truth be yeah. told tim you, you can force the bible to, to to say what you want you know a verse here a verse yeah. there and before 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 you know it, it looks like you know Jesus did die to make you, you know, prosperous and to make you wealthy and live yeah. your best life now. And it's just absolutely so dangerous, right? Yeah, yeah, I agree. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, and so, again, I, I sometimes have some people at my theological college. We have a uh, – we're a non-denominational but um, uh, reformed evangelical Protestant kind of flavor to us. Yeah. Um, we sometimes have people come in who've come from uh, Pentecostal church backgrounds or something like that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've been struck by uh, one uh, woman who had been uh, leading some music team or something in her church. She wanted to do a bit of uh, theological study. She she was really shaken up by coming to college mm. because she realized that her church did not treat the Bible with integrity. Yeah. And she, she just had no idea before she came. Yeah. So she was quite... Um, uh, humbled by it, quite shocked, and I thought, oh, how um, how wonderful that she's been able to uh, sort of see that there might be um, more for her to learn from the scriptures. Mm-hmm. But also, I felt quite disturbed that, gosh, um, I, I hope that you know, I hope there are other people at your church and and the pastoral team as well who will uh, realise there's there's more in the scriptures than just you know grabbing a verse and running with it. Yeah, absolutely. Who have been the biggest influences in your life? Oh, gosh, that's a big question. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, well, it's probably people who are not uh, super well-known. That is, um, I, I have a couple of people, one I've already referred to, but uh, kind of older pastors who've taken a real interest in me mm. and who have invested time and energy and thought and prayer. Uh, and, again, they're not... Um, they're not sort of leading lights who whose name might be known to everyone uh, out there in uh, who, who kind of follows these things, um, but just the pastors who have felt that me as a regular kind of young church-going guy uh, was someone who was worth loving, caring, teaching, shaping. So you know, I've often thought um, there's the guy I spoke to you about who discipled me for five years when I came to faith. Yeah. Um, 
uh, there's uh, one of the, uh, the the great wise Christian men who I've uh, mentioned who gave me um, some of the advice about uh, how to preach the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, and part of what has been so influential uh, is that that's been their focus. You know, they've not been people who've been hungry for the platform mm. or to be uh, kind of, you know, Christian pop stars or something like that. Mm. Um, they've just taken an interest in, in regular folks in the church and to me, I, the more I'm, the older I get, I guess, and the more I see of church, the more I love that. The more I think it's beautiful. Mm. Um, pastors who, whose whose heart is for those who sit right in front of them week in week out. So good, Tim. Thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed speaking to you today. Awesome. Uh, I've really appreciated. It. I've enjoyed it very much too, and been greatly encouraged. Great stuff, Tim. If anybody wants to reach out to you, are you on social media at all? Yes, I am. So uh, I'm on. Uh, I'm actually. I'm, a, I'm an early adopter. So I think I actually have the name uh, Tim Patrick on Twitter and on Facebook, and I'm on Instagram. All those kinds of things. You'll find me on them. Fantastic. Well, what we'll do is we'll put the links to your social media accounts in the description below. We'll also put the link to the book as well in there below as well. Tim, thanks again for your time. Really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. It's been great to be with you.